And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 55 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, December 1st, 2014. Well, it's Cyber Monday, folks. Have you gotten all your shopping done yet? The fact that we still call it Cyber Monday is as if we're still on our 28K modem surfing the super information highway on our Packard Bell 386s on our CompuServe IDs, waiting for that interlaced GIF of, well, you know what you used to use for interlaced GIFs, to finally come up. Well, it's a little disconcerting. But still, here we are, looking for those super-duper after-Thanksgiving weekend deals to start our Christmas shopping. But here at PNR, Joe and I are here to bring you into the future. You should think of us as the J.J. Abrams of marketing, bringing a full awesome reboot, complete with a redesigned content lightsaber, a reboot classic of the 70s marketing, and a completely making up for that disastrous Jar Jar Binks episode of marketing that happened in the late 90s and early 2000s. And if you like our episodes, please give us a review on iTunes, won't you? And here's a challenge. Compare us to your favorite or least favorite episode of Star Wars. Are we the awesome Empire Strikes Back, or are we, you know, somewhere between Jar Jar and Attack of the Clones? Obi-Wan Kenobi or Ewoks Dancing? You let us know. You love us. We know. All right, let's move on with the show. And of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the cyber decade of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? How was your Thanksgiving? It was very, very nice indeed. I actually was thinking you were going to introduce me with a Star Wars reference, and I got totally thrown off by the whole 28 megabit whatever you were doing um i was gonna I just, ask you, know, you it's I, like it's like all cyber it's like the super infra- every time i hear cyber monday i think of it's the super information highway and al gore and it's cyber i never all, thought about that but you're right it is a tad bit dated we should yeah, do something a little bit about that. did you do uh, any black friday shopping i did zero black friday shopping i did absolutely zero i did not contribute to the world economy like i should have yeah i can't see robert rose going out at uh, three o'clock in the morning for some (laughs) best buy deals or something jumping into the melee and and with my nunchucks and uh, like swinging it around for that big screen tv well so what's really (laughs) strange is so my wife and i go out every year we i mean i love it i i get my uh you my, do? Oh, oh, oh every goodness. year. Every year we do it. I love the people watch. I love the whole thing. I get my large latte and just uh, sit back in astonishment, and I hold places in lines. That's sort of my my role in Black Friday life. Well, here's the weirdest thing. There was nobody there. There's Everybody was out on really? Thanksgiving. We got up late. Like Usually we'll get up at 3, 3.30. We'll be out oh, the my stores God, by crazy. 4 o'clock. I know. Totally crazy, right? This year we stayed, slept in. We weren't out there till 5 o'clock. There was nobody there. I mean, literally nothing was going on because everyone had their sales the night before. I couldn't believe it. That is unbelievable. Well, it has. I mean, people are saying, I mean, the newscasters are saying that the whole early opening on Thanksgiving and then the closing of some stores and whatnot really had an effect this year on the on the shopping season. I saw it on the news. They said gray, thanks, gray Thursday. What the heck is gray, gray Thursday? Gray Thursday. But what is it? Who came up with that? It's obviously not a marketer. He wouldn't say I'm going to be, well, you know, I'm going to be shopping. Thursday. I'm going to be shopping on beige Tuesday, I think. Or <laughs> it's wacky Wednesday. It's slightly off green Wednesday. <laughs> It's Green Pea Soup Wednesday. It's hey, Taupe Tuesday. How about Taupe Tuesday? Oh, I'm going like to fight Tuesday. for that. 
Yeah. Well, pretty soon that's what we're going to be at because there's you you can't just do it at five and six o'clock on Wednesday because that's it's not early enough now. You're gonna actually have to do it at <laughs> noon, and then that's yeah, not early enough. Exactly. You're gonna have to do it on Wednesday. Pretty soon we'll be doing it on Halloween. Like, that's what? right. Anyways, that's right. The last thing I wanted to ask and... was, how many times did you watch the Star Wars trailer? Oh, probably twenty-five or thirty. I mean, you know, I mean, I was one of those guys who, you know, J.K., our creative director, of course, watched it hundreds of times. Well, he, he said, watched but... it thirty million times, and the rest of the world five million times. Was, yeah, exactly. It was... <laughs> it was unbelievable. But yeah, I was one of those guys who went to the blog that sort of went scene you know frame by frame to actually break it down and and I actually went to the image sites that actually redesigned the lightsaber to the redesign and had problems there was a whole discussion thread about why that design shouldn't work oh it was you know it was crazy well yeah I mean first of all it's gonna chop somebody's wrists off I mean there's no way I mean you're (laughs) that's it's just not gonna work I'm sorry but wow. I loved it. It was we'll cool. See. Oh, it was so fantastic. It was so fantastic to see the Millennium Falcon flying and the whole thing. And, you know, I just, I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. I know. The kid that did, I mean, it couldn't have been more than 24 hours, the kid that got the Lego uh, Star Wars trailer yes, up fanta- and running. And that was wonderful as well. How, oh how great gosh. was that? It's, and then all the spoofs on it is. <laughs> oh, the, the George Lucas one is great. Did you see the George I Lucas one where there's one. there's thousands of spaceships and then Jar Jar makes his appearance and it's just uh, just really awesome. Oh, we loved it, and it's only uh, fifty two weeks to go. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I can. So, uh, I can. I can start lining up now. My gosh, they are. Yeah. they're brilliant. So. Yes, what do we got? We do we have any news I'll, this week? I, well, you know, it was week? a slow news week, as you might expect, with the holiday upon us. And uh, so we did actually put together a few interesting news items, though. And our first news items come, I guess it's official now, dun-dun-dun, dramatic music, please. The BMA and the ANA announced actually today that they are now officially wed um, and going off to the hotel room to do what newlyweds do. Um, they basically said that the members and board of directors have approved this December 1st, 2014. Um, and the combination reflects, I guess, as they say, the long-term strategies of both organizations. Um, what say you, Mr. Polizzi? Is this uh, is this still a good idea a month and a half after we announced it? So this is, for those that don't know, the Alphabet Soup Acronyms Association oh, right, of National exactly. Advertisers have uh, wedded with Business Marketing Association, but basically the ANA has bought out the BMA, and now the BMA is a division of the ANA. So say that a mil- uh, hundred times and see what you end up with. But the you end up with banana. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I think you do end up with ba- yeah. banana. 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 Uh, <laughs> oh my god! The show's we're going to make that a thing. I, I yeah. can't bring it back. I'm Hashtag like, that, folks. Hashtag that banana. Banana. Yeah. Uh, my god! So the problem here. I'm a BMA member, by the way. And I, we love the ANA, so no problems here. But this actually took a little while to get approved. There were a few people on uh, the BMA side that I oh, was that right? That weren't that you know weren't sold. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show when they first announced it. Uh, it's almost like the BMA is being um, subsumed by yeah. the ANA and might lose its, lose its identity. Enough, and I'm sure that's not the plan. But I think that. It doesn't look like the BMA was in a position of strength here. It definitely looks like the ANA was in a position position of strength. And the only reason 
I'm concerned about it is, and I talked about this a few times ago, is what happened to B2B Magazine when B2B was subsumed by Advertising Age, and now there's no more B2B. And I think that that's not good for the industry. So if if ANA does what they say they're going to do and they put the resources behind them and the BMA becomes stronger, and then that's great. I just have my doubts. Yeah. I don't really have an opinion on it one way or the other. I've had interactions and uh, uh, all kinds of sort of – I've had speaking engagements and I've gone to events in both groups and I've had a great time at both. Both uh, I, There is definitely a difference in audience for sure oh, absolutely. Uh, between BMA and ANA audiences. And so um, I will say that, but I don't have a lot of experience, so I, I can't really say one way or the other whether it – make sense or not but I am I totally agree with you about the I, I you know I used to love B2B magazine and and am sad to see it you know where it ended up so we'll see I mean I'm on I'm a board member of the uh, Northeast Ohio BMA chapter oh, so we'll all right. you know we'll we'll have to have you come in and speak actually we already have believe it or yeah. not but maybe we'll have to do it again <laughs> uh, so we'll see I hope it's good but you know, there was the official announcement today, and uh, and we'll see what happens. There you have it. All right. Well, our second item up for bids is, here we go, Scripted, the content marketing platform, uh, has taken a B round, uh, B as in boy round, of $9 million. This was announced last week. Um, not sure why they would announce it uh, the week of Thanksgiving, but they did. And so here we go, Series B, $9 million bucks, led by Storm Ventures, existing Scripted investors, Crosslink Capital, and Redpoint Ventures, so a lot of uh, folks in that uh, in that round there. Um, and as they say, it further establishes Scripted's position as the top platform for high-quality original content. And if you don't know who Scripted is, they are a platform that offers uh, access to a marketplace of writers. They are based here in uh, – uh, uh, well, now they say they're they, – I, I thought they were here in Los Angeles, but the press release here says they're based in San Francisco. Um, and so they're really going to be focused, I guess, on stepping on the gas of marketing. What do you think about this? Well, uh, as you know, we're close friends with Mr. Kevin Spacey. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, Mr. Spacey's right? on the board, exactly. so it has to be. You know, um, congratulations. He knows our effing acronyms, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations to uh, the folks at Scripted. Lots yeah. of good people there. I guess my question to you, just besides this is sort of the last one we'll probably see for the year, what's your expectations for M&A venture activity in the space for 2015 for content marketing. What do you think? It's going to be big and busy. Much I think it's bigger going to than be, 2014. Well, I don't even know that you would say that. I, was 2014 big and busy? Uh, you know, to me, it, there was a lot of dancing. Yeah, that's, um, that's and, probably true. And there, but there wasn't a lot of action, not in the M and A space for sure. Um, there was a lot of funding. Um, there was a lot of venture handed out, and so I think. The M&A space for those that took money this year will obviously not be as high for those that um, you know that are that are that have taken money for some time and that are and I think you're going to start to see some larger acquisitions because some of these platforms that we've been talking about for the last couple of years are now getting of size um, you know and I look at companies like Taboola and Outbrain and. Uh, and you know, and Skyward, and and Contently, and and, uh, and Newscred, um, these kinds of companies that have been around a while, that have a little bit of size behind them, and are you know are are basically ripe for the picking. Um, and I think you know you may you may see some activity there. I think it will certainly be busier than it was 
this year from an M&A perspective, but um, I don't expect it to be overwhelming. There's, I mean, look, there's not an overwhelming number of vendors in this space yet. So I think it's still early and young and there, you know, I think there, it's got a lot of maturing to do before um, it's actually, it, it actually proves the space. You know, and this goes back to something we talked about with three or four or five shows ago um, to the post that Jay Bear wrote, which I, I actually really agree with, which is this idea of, is there actually a content marketing space? Or is this a gap that's being temporarily filled because most of the sort of advanced, uh, and I mean advanced in age, sort of mature software providers haven't filled that gap yet? And I think that's where we're going to really see the M&A activity are big marketing stack players filling in the gaps of areas that they don't have, which the content marketing approach uh, fills. And really, you know, figuring out how they can actually make their make their offerings more robust to the content marketing process. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, speaking of Outbrain, I totally forgot to send this to you, but I'm reading the. I think this was Thanksgiving. I was reading the Wall Street Journal, or maybe it was Friday. Reading the Wall Street Journal, and Outbrain uh, is filing to go public, which I I didn't know you knew about. So I'm sorry. I did I not know. That. Sorry, I didn't I did tell you that. that. But speaking well, of, I this should whole know that thing, regardless. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they say they're going to value the, the company at one billion dollars. So it's it's going to get interesting. Well, think about that for a second. I mean, that's that's an interesting thing about how long it took a company like Marketo, or it took a, a company. Well, I don't even know if Marketo's worth a billion dollars yet. But but um, you look at a company like HubSpot, right, that went public, and how long it took them to get to that space versus a company like Outbrain. Um, it's, it's, so to say that there's a little velocity behind this market is, is an understatement. That's, if they say they're worth a billion dollars, that's incredible speed with which they've gotten there. Well, according to uh, the December 1st numbers here, Marketo is worth $1.33 billion. There you go. There you go. So it's going to get, yeah. So it's, I think it's, here's what, you know, just to leave it at this, and this is where I, what I can't get over is how much money's on the sidelines right now. There's so I've never seen so much money sitting on the sidelines from venture and then the the amount of these bigger technology companies that had just a ton of cash. Right. At some point they're going to use that cash. They're not just going to sit on it. So we're going to start seeing some deals. I just don't know if 2015 is the year. I feel it is, but I felt that was the I, I felt it was going to be 2014. So I think you well, I, and I think I think that's exactly right. We'll see. It's I think that's a big we'll see, you know. And, but you're exactly right. There's so much cash sitting on the sidelines right now. Some of that's going to go to work. Going to have to. But I called 2015 as the year, so you can bet your money that it's not going to be 2015. <laughs> it's going to be some other year. Right, exactly. It, yeah. Call Vegas. <gasps> All right. Next story. Uh, we if so ding ding ding. Read your uh, drink your drinks. Uh, ring your bells. Whatever you want to do. Native advertising to jump despite marketers' reservations. So says Ad Age in a recent article. Um, and this paired nicely, I think, with a discussion that you were having offline with uh, one of our friends and family, of course, Nanad Sinek, and uh, he, you, and he had a discussion about a story we talked about last week. But the story this week. And then I want to get your take on the discussion that you had was that the so says ad age that marketers are bullish about native advertising in 2015 and top brands, including Ford and Kimberly Clark and General Electric and Hewlett Packard. They are telling people that they plan to boost spending quite a bit, actually. Um, and they tell eMarketer, and this has come from an eMarketer research, which came out uh, this week. Um, and basically, they said that they're pre- predicting that marketers are going to spend $4 billion on native advertising in 2015, which is a full 34% increase from 2014. 
And that's huge, right? So, and they, they, by the way, expect it to go to 8 billion by 2018. So I'm, I don't know about these numbers. What do you, what do you think about this? So this might shock you. I was thinking a lot about this and I was looking at this, this number of 4.3 billion on native advertising in 2015, as you said, 34% increase. And then they're saying 8.8 billion by 2018. So here's the shocker. I think that number is way too low. Wow. All right. I think that, and this is this is gut as well as conversations you and I have had with a number of uh, people involved in the space. The issue here is that they're not going to put their ads behind traditional digital. They're just not. Even the I love this quote here from Jason Hill from GE says traditional digital advertising has become wallpaper. Nobody does anything with it. it just, they just look past it. At least. He says that brands at least have a strong point of view that they can share and great partners that can help them get there and get to the right people. You know, of course, you and I have talked about, you know, what that would do on the downside for, for publishers. But I think this number is, is small. But the, the, the take that I wanted to get from you and in, in interest, I love when they're two, two people, two senior marketers here were talking about how they can't scale it. Right. <laughs> it's like exactly. Well, <laughs> right. Well, this I mean, this is like the 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 thing I love about this article is is that the the idea is, is that it seems kind of surprising to them. They they seem actually surprised that it's they're it's really challenging to find scale in the native advertising and both of them from, you know, one of them is a, a media manager at Ford Motor Company and the other one I forget who the other one is off the top of my head, but it's the idea is, is they say it's really challenging to find scale because creating things that have high quality take time and you know it, it takes effort and it's really hard right it's not an ad unit that's the whole it's that's the whole point it's not an ad unit it's a piece of content that needs careful feeding and care and and i guess this is where i would differ with you on that number is you know if it really is going to succeed i think that handcrafted quality is really going to have to be there and i just don't see it scaling that quickly because I mean, look, maybe it scales that quickly because it's so, it starts to become so effective that the price rises to such a degree that it becomes $8 billion worth of expensive, but it's not the same. It will not have the same reach as traditional advertising. Yeah, you can't buy – you're right. You can't buy a Super Bowl ad with it. I mean, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's – but – I think that- – And I wonder if the owned media thing is really going to come – I mean, because I think if – you know. I wonder, and this is a question, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if if I'm Ford Motor Company and I start to see a lot of success with native advertising, well then, again, why am I building my house on rented land? Why well, am I not just creating an owned media property? If I start to see real success and my ability to create content that resonates with an audience, if I'm not building my owned media, then I'm actually starting to throw money out the window. Well, no, you're absolutely right. That's the, That's... That's super important to think about, but just look at the advertising opportunities. To We know that this is not moving as fast as we thought it would. Culture is getting in the way. Traditional patterns right. are getting in the way. They're not moving all this paid media over to owned media as fast as we thought they would. And I, mean, I don't know what I was thinking, but of course they're not. But look at the paid opportunities available, the newer, sexier paid opportunities available right now. Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, right. for example. You know what all that advertising is on there? It's all native advertising. Every opportunity is on there. True is, enough. Is native for the most part. So if you're going to look at any new advertising opportunities, it's going to be a native. 
It's a great point. It's a great point. I mean, you know, and that a lot of that eight point eight billion that they're talking about, it really comes down to how do you how do you divide up that pie? You know, how much of that is promoted social content on on across the social media networks. I was having a conversation with an investment banker group today, and and um, one of the things we were talking about was how native advertising and companies like Outbrain um, will start to cannibalize Google search. Um, and, you know, search advertising in general. And I, you know, and, and I think it will ultimately, I think because search advertising is losing much of its luster if it ever had any luster. And, and it's, it's one of those things where I think if I can start to create the same kind of engagement across the web and really hedge my bets across a number of properties and basically get the same kind of, you know, forgive the old metaphor, reach and frequency with other platforms, then why am I going with search? And so you look at search starts to get cannibalized and maybe, you know, maybe it is $8 billion when we start looking at across, you know, social, all the social networks yeah. across all of the different content platforms and the public, you know, long, what we think of when we think of native advertising sort of the long form content on the New York times kind of thing. I don't know, man. I, um, I think it's going to get crazy. I think there's going to be more money put in it. But before we get, we get off of this topic, uh, I did get the note you mentioned from our good friend Nanad Sinek from uh, Slovenia. Oh, Nanad, of course, yes. How yeah, are absolutely. you doing? So Nanad uh, disagreed with what I said a little bit last week about uh, what I said about native advertising, and I'm sorry, Nanad, I couldn't remember what I said. So, <laughs> so I had to. We had to. <laughs> that's so I'm not take, uncommon. That's not uncommon at all. So I'm going to have to take his word for it. First of all, Nanad is not a big fan of native advertising. This I knew. A lot of people aren't a fan of native advertising as, as the term. I think it's the more politically correct uh, way to say advertorial in a lot of ways. But So, Nanette, I want to read this uh, because I think it's important and we can have a conversation about it. But Are you uh, going to read another email? Because you know what happens when you read private emails. <laughs> I, I guarantee you I have his permission. I yeah, told okay. him. All I right. Told I'm, him just saying, I told I'm just him saying. I'm just saying. to me. Because I would read it on the air. Hashtag but, fail. <laughs> I'm not even going to bring that up again because okay. the heat has finally died down. Over all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Moving so, along. So basically, uh, Nanette says he's surprised by my saying that advertorials are 100% by an advertiser while native advertising is more editorial. Well, I don't remember saying it quite like that. What I said, correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, what I said yeah. was is that I believe in the past traditionally advertorial as we knew it was for the most part created by the advertiser, by the client themselves. Right. And it would be put, you know, advertorial at the top or advertisement or sponsored content. What seems to be happening today and why uh, you know why what's happening with the New York Times and the Washington Post is now being called native advertising in, in print has a lot less to do with what it really is because in a, in essence it's the same type of thing it's it's paid advertising that's also is in a content form I think the difference is more of your content studios most your publishing editors divisions of those groups are starting to create that content on behalf or get more involved in that content and try to elevate that content. What Nanad is saying is is that he was he's been involved in this for years where editors were working with the advertisers on how to do it. In my tradition, if it was just 
the way that I looked at it when I worked at Pet Media, if somebody was just sending in a page or two of advertorial, it was just them sending it on. We were slapping it in. We weren't approving it. It was was what it was. If it was a sponsored section, which is also advertorial, that's different. We signed an editor to it. The editor worked with the different clients that would support that section, and they would get editorial mention in that, and that was definitely run by the editor side. I'm not saying that I think ultimately I think we're we're talking the same language. I think that it is bo- it's both advertorial and it's both native advertising in this case when you're looking at it in print. It's different in digital because we're looking at a disruptive ad unit that's much different than what we've seen in the past. With print, it's pretty much the same, but I think the trend has been for more of these custom content units to get together and create and help the sponsors and advertisers sound more like thought leaders and have it be better and i think nanad talks a lot about we agree in a lot of cases it's all the same some are better and some are terrible and well I, absolutely and i, think I mean that's i think where that's we could all agree to it yes i think that's right i mean i mean that's that's going back to the beginning right i mean some advertising is great and some really sucks and and some content is great and some really sucks and and I think what I think the point, the overall point, if I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the overall point you were trying to make, which is that theoretically, um, by having the in-house publisher studio create the content, you have a much higher per- chance of actually creating something that's interesting, journalistic, and actually compelling than you do if you have basically the client creating it because the client creating it is either going to be because of the lack of resources and or their inability to get beyond the sales mentality is going to reek of marketing materials. And so theoretically created by the publisher is going to have a better quality to it than the, than, than created by the marketer. Well, is I that, mean, look is at, that look the at, right way to yeah, frame it? I mean, I think – look at what Shell – we talked – what is it, two episodes <clears throat> ago? We talked about the Shell uh, yeah, native exactly. advertising piece that was a digital really well done. print. Yeah, really, really, really well, well done. done. And I think that's where you have the, uh, the custom group come in from the New York Times – that really sat down and said, here's the audience and here's what we think. And here, and they, they put it together and they, yeah. they listened. They did what an agency does, right? They listened to here's what they or should do. Here's what, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? Who's the audience? You go through all that. And then they came up with that product and it was in digital and print. Uh, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago when I was working on it, we didn't have that kind of integration. Um, so I think that's where I'm, I think the difference is. But, but ultimately... If you called it advertorial, it's still the same thing. Yeah, I think exactly. People like the term. Exactly. Here's, here's, and then add, here's why I think they're using native advertising. It's because people buy native advertising. They don't buy advertorial. Right. That's well, and we talked it's about that before. Term. Right. And I, and I talked about this a year ago when I wrote the post, native advertising is neither, right? Which is the, the idea that it's an ad unit keeps the budget in the media group so that the media people can actually have control over the budget of where that content goes. And that's... The ad agencies of the world have every reason to keep it called advertising so that they can control the budget and the strategy for its placement. And that's I, That, to me, is the primary reason that it's still called native ads. I mean, it's almost like look at look at baloney. I look at baloney the same way. Would you buy baloney or would you buy all <laughs> the leftover pieces of meat in a convenience store and what they make out of it? No. <laughs> You buy bologna. Bologna's the name that you buy. You don't buy all the scraps that you just happen to put into a meaty substance. Snoutsandtails.com coming to you from Joe Polizzi. 
<laughs> this is the baloney episode. Then <laughs> add thank you for the email. Really Absolutely. It. I hope I answered any question, but I think that we're both. I'm going to say we're both right on this. Yeah. One. There you go. All right. Our final story of the show is comes to us from. It's actually two stories paired together from Forbes, um, and they are both regarding predictions. Um, the one we'll spend maybe a little more time talking about is this 2015 predictions for CMOs and digital marketing which really focuses on – it brings in a couple of people that we, of course, know, Lee Oden um, and some others that make predictions, Brian Solis and, and a few others, um, about what's going on in digital marketing more broadly um, at the CMO level. And it also brings in some research, and this is where I want to get your take on this, Joe, is they brought in the, Gart- the recent – in October, actually, uh, Gartner released their yearly CMO spend report. And what they say is some really interesting statistics here. One is, I think, as we all sort of have heard, is that budgets are going to go up again next year for marketing. No big surprise there. Customer experience, which I'm sort of happy to see, is the top innovation project for 2015, continuing as its top priority for marketing investment from 2014. And then the one that sort of jumped out at me like in a in a big, bad way, it said – um, uh, it, it's, it said, first of all, 79% of companies, marketing has a budget for capital expenditures, primarily for infrastructure and software. So basically, infrastructure and software and process is going to be a big thing. And then, dun, 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 and this is a quote, marketers are managing a P&L and generating revenue from digital advertising, digital commerce, and the sale of data. Now that one just jumped out. I don't know about you, Joe. I had to read that like three times just to make sure. I, you know, I, I can't, I, I can't quite get my arms around this. And of course, I've, I tried to. And and hello, if anybody from Gartner's out there, your landing page and form is all kinds of broken because I tried to actually download the the actual report. And you don't have to be a Gartner subscriber, apparently, to get to it. But, uh, you know, I got a 500 error, and then it was just not good. So I couldn't get to the actual report to really read the context of this yet before we went on air. But to me, this is – I mean, we've talked about how we think this is coming, where companies are – and marketing could be a profit center where, by the use of content, creation of valuable experiences, they could actually start to generate profit or revenue that either pays for itself – we've seen examples of this – and or, you know, use it – but is this basically them saying that they're – selling their data to other marketing companies and they're making money. I, is this really a thing now? I've I mean, got to find – well, the digital advertising and the commerce I get because we've seen examples from Red Bull and Kraft that do just that. Right. I mean, uh, you, so you've got Red Bull that sells its imagery. They, they syndicate it, license it. Uh, they sell advertising and sponsorship as part of what they do. We know that Kraft Recipes and uh, the Kraft's Magazine, they've been doing that for a long, long time. She manages a P&L as part of that. We get that. I don't know what the sale of data means. I would, I'm really super interested. I don't, I don't know how they're making money off of I mean, usually they're buying data right. so that they can put the pieces together and figure out how they can make sense of that data to make some decisions. Yeah. But, well, I and I know that it's starting to become, you know, data and craft is a great example of this where data itself, first party data is becoming ROI and business case enough to create owned media properties because quite frankly, accumulating it yourself can be more valuable than, you know, so maybe they mean that it's inter I don't, you know, I've got a I got a down. We got to look at it because, because if there's but if you're if you are a 
traditional non-media company and you're selling that data, let's say, back to media companies, boy, has the model flipped. I mean, that is unbelievable. <laughs> I want to I want to hear more about that. So we got to. We got to both do some research on that. That's one. exactly right. Well, there, and was there any other predictions in there that sort of you know gave you pause or, or sort of surprised well, you? A couple um, things. Um, they said I wanted to get your take. Eight percent increase in digital marketing budgets. That seems really high. I mean, that's not like you're not moving money around. I mean, usually if you see two to three percent, you're looking good for marketing. Maybe three to five percent. Eight percent seems huge. Is it not? What are we? Is that? Am I wrong on that one? No, it, it seems about well. So you know, again, this gets into the details of how they qualify that because this, you know, get get me off on a rant here. But the whole idea of how we separate digital from sort of non-digital sort of you know perplexes me um, on a daily basis because I'll hear all the time, "Where's the budget for this?" And they'll talk about how well it's going into you know, video content that is going to be on YouTube, but that's not part of the digital budget because it comes out of the TV budget, right? You know, so is that digital or is it, you know, is it not, you know, so digital for, for what qualifies as did, you know, that in the Venn diagram of the budget, there is a big overlap there. And I think it's not necessarily clear what that is. What, what I read into that 8% digital budget is quite frankly, more content that they're going to be creating and two an increase in ad spending and you know and whether that's native ads or regular banner ads i think that's yeah. that's the eight percent budget so i don't look at that as an overall increase of um uh of 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 budget which i think is going to be higher than that but i think um uh it, that you know if we look at just sp- specifically what how gartner might define digital that's that's what it would be made up of so yeah i mean in addition to that I mean, they talk about the software. I mean, you just brought it up. The software purchases, the uh, the technology purchases. I mean, you you talk about all the time how that stat about how marketers are spending are going to be purchasing more IT than IT folks. Is this? Is it sounds like this is the start of it, or continues to be the start of it? So well, maybe. I mean, I I I I actually don't like the the quote that it's it's an a Gartner quote where it says that CMO is going to spend more on technology than the CIO, and I think that's just you a think bunch that's, of that's I think it's well, I think it's hooey. I think it's you know, I I think it's I, I think it's a nice headline, um, but I don't believe it for the first you know I, because I have not met a CMO who was allowed to purchase. Con, uh, any sort of enterprise technology software without the explicit buy-in from the CIO. I mean, that just doesn't yeah. happen in real business. And so it may come under the marketing banner, but the CIO has every purview into that purchase and has every sense of what's going on in the in the technology world. So you know what's assumed in that headline is is that the CMO is routing around the institution of the CIO to get to you know to get to buy their own technology on their own credit card and some of that is happening i mean yeah. that's certainly i've talked about that in our virtual technology event which is of course our one is coming up in february here but um where you know i call it the appification of marketing where you've got a lot of enterprise marketing companies or excuse me enterprise marketing organizations in companies basically you know putting technology on the credit card, whether they're buying, you know, access to WordPress or a social suite, these, you know, sort of prosumer level technologies that they're trying on for size. Um, And then if it sort of works when they sort of say, okay, now we need the enterprise version of this, then they're going to the IT group and saying, now we need to actually do this in, in the right and smart way. So that's what I'm seeing anyway. So you're calling shenanigans. 
I call that. shenanigans. Shenanigans. On that. Yeah, I call shenanigans on 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 that piece. Yeah, and I mean it's all in the definition, right? So that's that's where that's the details. The, the, all right. Well, the way, we have a sponsor. Don't cut me. Don't cut me off. I, no, I got, I'm not cutting I, you off. I got, you're cutting me off. You're going to the sponsor. I've got. Don't, dude. I don't mean to cut you off. Go dude. for it. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> it wasn't that important anyway. No, here. This is what I wanted to say. Uh, the last. We'll part say of, it. The last. I know. I'm getting to it. I'm, it's just building. I'm building up the. Okay. Uh, they're the anticipation. About, I know, I'm, now I'm, it's I'm, done. Now okay. It's, we've All lost right. the moment. They're, they're talking about poaching IT staff, which I think is really critical about the, this whole role of this marketing technologist that you know our friend Scott Brinker talks about sure, all the time. Of course. I think that is interesting where – and they talk about this specifically with content marketing being one of these hot areas and looking at technology. Is, it, is content marketing hot? Is that, is, that, is that really a hot area? I've heard. I mean, I, I, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've heard rumors. You can just end the show now. <laughs> this is fine. I don't even need. To, I don't need to be on this show. You can do it all yourself. Just uh, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm done. Do we have a? Are we done with this? Do we? Do we have to do a sponsor thing? Or we, we, I, apparently, oh, if we're going to pay the bills, we the need show? to. Yes, I mean, you're it is the that show. absolutely. It's that time of the show. <laughs> All right. Bring it this, home, brother. This crazy episode of This Old Marketing <laughs> is sponsored by our wonderful friends at Emma, email marketing for the modern brand, featuring mobile responsive templates, social integration tools, and our all-important concierge services. Emma's promoting a new report. Well, we've been talking about it for a few weeks, but we're going to talk about it again. Automation Demystified. A Modern Marketer's Guide to Email autom- Automation. And I love this because they really focus on the value of the subscriber. You and I talk about it all the time, Robert, how important building your audience is and how do you keep that audience and nurture that audience ongoing. And this is what this ebook helps you to do, as well as boost conversions so that you can really focus on when you should send out your emails and when you shouldn't. Go ahead and register for this free ebook at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash auto email. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash auto email, or you can go to the show page, thisoldmarketing.com, and download it directly. But super, super thankful, especially around this Thanksgiving time, for our sponsor, Emma, who's been with us for the majority of the way. And uh, we love our partnership with we Emma. So thank do. you. Very Such a great much. download. Such a great download. I, re- I really enjoyed that. And of course, the concierge service is something that I, I just truly adore. Okay. Well, you do. It is now- you, you adore I it? I do adore it. I do. It's fantastic. All right. It's fantastic. I do adore it. <laughs> All right. What's up next? We have our favorite part of the show. It's our rants and raves sections where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is uh, really just bugging us or uh, something we want to show a little love toward. And I guess I'm going first because I have this old marketing this week. You do. Um, and so this so th- this is going to be fast, and it's a rant. So for those of you who have been waiting for me to get back on my rant rant, um, I'm, I'm back on it. <clears throat> But it's going to be short because there's not a lot of information on this, and I'm trying to nip this in the bud. So there, the big hat tip to Brian Kramer uh, for actually – he didn't even realize he tipped me off to this, but he did when he posted. He had a blog post, and then I saw it in my Facebook feed, um, where he talked about some of the things that were coming up in 2015. Um, and one of the things that he mentioned was this idea of what's being called invective marketing. And so it caught my eye, you know, because of the word invective in there. And so I went out and did a little research. 
question. I found this post um, that we'll, of course, put in the show notes from Forbes.com um, and by a guy, uh, Dan Matthews, who wrote a post called The Rise and Rise of Invective Marketing. And so I guess this is a new thing that we have to deal with, which is this trend in marketing that apparently not a lot of people are talking about, but is becoming a more popular thing that people actually are talking about. And it, as it turns out, as according to this article, being a jerk to people online is this new growth trend. And so what's happened is, is that the way that this invective marketing thing works is that first you got to go get yourself, you know, it's like the, it's like the, you know, first get a million dollars, then you're going to be rich, right? So it, it's kind of this thing where first you go out and establish a foothold in the media or social media landscape. In other words, you go out and get a little bit famous. You go out and get a bunch of followers or you go out and get a, get your own podcast or you do something. And then the key to this is once you have that following, you've got to do something that's really in the zeitgeist of popular culture. So, and and then you go out in that and you say something that is just nasty. And it's got to be nasty and controversial enough for people to want to just like flame you, right? So, you can't be directed at people who, you know, everybody agrees with or every, you know, everybody's going to freak out on you on. So, you've got to have you got to pick your issue wisely. But apparently, if you do this, there's all kinds of profit in it, right? Because you're going to go out and you're going to just be this complete lunatic and you're going to get all these invitations to be a speaker on CNN and on Fox News and on MSNBC and you're going to become this pundit. And it's the way to become a well-recognized brand is to be just a complete jerk. This is invective marketing. And what I want to say is, Let's just not do this. Let's just let's really just stop this. This is like the worst of the worst. I can't imagine anybody wanting to do this. And and it it this annoys me so much that somebody would actually strategize about a way to be a jerk and then to actually use that to actually go out and become famous not believing what they're saying, but actually just being a troll for the sake of being a troll. There's there's something just so annoying and 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 ridiculous about that that I just saw this and I said, I, I want to bring attention to it so that it actually doesn't become a thing. So if anybody's considering do this, don't do it. Please don't do it. For me, don't do it. <laughs> if, if that's the only reason you don't do it, don't do it. So you know, anyway, there's so interesting. I don't know what I was on some sports site today and they were talking about the fake, uh, you know, Bo Pelini, uh, who yeah. fired yeah. his Nebraska yeah. coach or he's yeah. leaving, whatever the case is. Well, fake Bo Pelini, which is fall at fall Pelini has 162,000 followers on, uh, on Twitter and wow. is, is famous and sports illustrated actually wrote an article today on uh fake Bo Pelini being in jeopardy the twitter account <laughs> like what he, it's just it was just funny that's amazing that, but you're right this is a thing it's almost like look at every famous person in the world and you will find the fake justin bieber or the fake robert rose or whatever oh good lord don't don't even don't even oh, and then nobody that, do that, that would By the that way, would be that, that would be scary would be. well it's not even that it's just the, the example that this guy uses is he says he talks about this i mean somebody who was i guess the the third level runner up on the apprentice and so this person now because they had a little bit of infamy has now started to come out with these just insane like they said 
and I'm going to say this, and it's just it's just a horrible thing to say. So I know coming out of my mouth, this is a horrible thing to say. But this person actually started tweeting about tweeting out how the police officers in Ferguson should all be given medals for gunning down. Oh my! God. The, I mean, it's like what? So, but of course, this gets complete flame out on Twitter and it gets retweeted and this person gets their 15 minutes of fame and of course they get invited to justify their comments on on the 24-7 news networks and it becomes this thing where they become famous because of the outrageous things that they're saying that are just stupid and just really annoying and that to me is just so much wrong in that there's a whole lot of stupid out there yeah (laughs) you're gonna (laughs) say I don't know if you can stop this because uh, it seems to be rampant Right now, anyways, I, how about I? I'm gonna do. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna lighten do, it up with a rave. I'm gonna for li- us. Lighten it up a little bit. I'm gonna do a rave, and this was interesting. I was out at the Barnes and Noble bookstore the other day uh, with the kids. We were we were looking at uh, books and whatnot, and I came across this book which was called uh, "Santa Is Coming to Cleveland." Oh, I was like, oh, it's like super cute. And then there's another one next to it. it says Santa is coming to Ohio. And I start looking at it, and I'm going through, and it's basically the same book, but they have very particular things in it. Like in the Santa's Coming to Cleveland, they have it's actually drawn like Cleveland's landscape, and it says it actually had West. Uh, we, I live in West Park, Cleveland. It actually had West Park in it. Oh, Santa goes down West Park and whatever, and it's like wow. really cool. And they mention all the particular parts of Cleveland. And then I then I looked at Ohio and the same thing, but broader and talked about Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati. And I'm like, oh, my God, I wonder if this is a thing. So I go on and this guy who's the artist and the storyteller is Steve Smallman. And I looked at his bio. This is on Source Books. Santa has Santa is coming to Jefferson City. Santa is coming to New Brunswick. Santa is coming. He's got he's got like 300 Santa is coming to. He's even got Santa's coming to Pittsburgh, it's which genius. I thought was a stretch. <laughs> oh, hey now. <laughs> see what he did there, that folks? Was, see how I see did what that? he did there? See, it was all that. going so well, you and know, then it just exploded in his face. That was just for our creative director, JK. It was thrown out with love. But I just thought that this was such a great idea, and from a content marketing perspective, I mean, you can see the impl- implications for this. This was actually planned out very well. And I'm actually thinking, and the more that you and I get involved in this whole intelligent content side of it i wonder if this was done in an intelligent content fashion i wonder if this was planned out ahead of time if there's a database behind this that plugs it in maybe with the different designs i don't know i was that's what i was i want to reach out to steve and actually find out but i just thought that this was a tremendous idea because if you're a little kid and you're looking at this it has your hometown in it it has all the it's just talk about it as you can get as targeted uh, and and personal in, with a Santa book as yeah, you can, and exactly. this is what they did. So well, it's, it's a great cool. lesson for marketers too. I mean, how to hyper, you know, how to do hyper local publications. You know, would be it. Would, this is such a great case study for that, right? You know, because wow, I mean, to think of the data this guy has on what's selling, how many sold in the localities where you know. And so the first year, maybe it's a you know, it, it's not, it doesn't do great in every city. But now you you can optimize publishing year after year to do this and really just. Uh, you know, create a, a really awesome strategy on this. And I'm assuming gets requests all the time. Hey, would you do a, a, a Santa's coming to Duluth right? and, yeah. and all that stuff? So I, I can't find a Los Angeles, though. I don't think Santa comes to Los Angeles. He doesn't. Oh, he does. He doesn't. Oh, he, he does? He does, yes. There you go. Yes. All right. But it looks really dry. Hey, see how that worked out, folks? <laughs> This, I'm not even going to publish this episode. 
<laughs> We're just to be done with it. You know you, we should be drinking different beverages for this. That's for sure. That's exactly right. Now, oh. now you, we have a this old marketing example. We do have yeah. a wonderful yes. this old marketing example, and this actually is really fresh off the presses. I think. I, well, as you'll see, it's a it's a really old example, but it's just. Um, it's just a wonderful example. So I, as you all that have listened to this for any number of, uh, of, of episodes know, I was just recently in Sweden. And when I was in Sweden, I was actually doing a class there for a group, just a wonderful group of people. And I got to meet uh, this woman who was the guest speaker during my class, and she's from this company called Arla. And Arla, and her name, by the way, is Christina Skogland. Um, she's the digital manager there and, and really runs all of their content marketing efforts. And so Arla is the largest producer of dairy products in Scandinavia. So they make butter and milk and basically everything with dairy. And so they're the largest producer in Scandinavia, which of course is Sweden and, and Norway and Finland and, and that sort of thing. But they also have a presence in the UK. So they're well known throughout really all of Northern Europe um, in terms of what they do, uh, producing different brands of butter and milk and stuff. So they're a cooperative. In other words, they're basically a, a, a cooperative that started at well back into the 1800s, 1880s they started. And then with their purchase uh, of a company in 2000, they became the largest uh, uh uh, dairy cooperative in, in, in that part of the world. So they've been doing content marketing quite literally for 40 years. And what that really has expressed itself as, and this is the really interesting thing, and, and unfortunately, because it's physical, there's not really a link to point to, although I, I did search for one. But what they've been doing is on the milk cartons. So, and for people in Sweden, you'll know this right away, um, but the U.S. obviously doesn't. On the milk cartons themselves, they have content. So every milk carton, and they've done themed ones where they change it out by month by month. They do holiday versions. They do personalized ones in some cases, but they all have content on them. And they started out as sort of helpful safety tips and that sort of thing. They went into recipes and now they're like stories for kids. So they all the milk cartons have these like individual stories that they actually tell on the side of the milk carton so you can actually the kids can actually have something to read while they actually have their cereal. And they're all these original stories that they create. Well they they've been doing that for 40 years. And they've now morphed that and evolved that into a number of initiatives that they've had going for at least 10 years. And now um, they're e actually evolving even again, which was so wonderful about her presentation. So they've been doing a recipe. So they have a complete recipes uh, website, just very much like Kraft, where they talk about all of the dairy uh, products and the recipes that you can have. And that's all online. They also have storybooks for kids now. They're actually printing storybooks, some of the stories from the milk cartons. They're actually printing those storybooks. And they have have an online website just for kids where they're actually having these stories um, get presented in an interactive way. So it's a whole kids website. And they're actually doing, um, they've got a whole other uh, a set of content that they're doing for parents and where they're actually bringing in some of those stories as well as the recipes together. And it's really just a, you know, you talk about a transmedia or an omnimedia sort of strategy. These guys are really just doing it in an awesome way, focusing on both the personas of the kids with all the stories that they're telling, with the parents, with the recipes, and really all of it around making dairy a healthy, organic, and really their focus on small farmer cooperatives um, and teaching people about that in, in a great way. So it's just a wonderful example of this old marketing. That's fantastic. Yeah, just a great story. I really, really enjoyed uh, meeting those folks. Unbelievable. Um, 
so where are you where are you headed? Are you? Uh, are we I'm well. We've we've San well. Francisco? You and I. Yes, we. You and I have the San Francisco Masterclass, which is our last one of the year. Really looking forward to that. I've been getting all kinds of emails from folks. It's gonna. I think it's probably gonna be our biggest of the four that we did this year. Um, just a great crowd expected for that. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then after that, I am home and focused on the book. We're just wrapping up the final edits to the book. So that's coming along famously. So tell everybody, what's the final title? Uh, the, uh, well, the, the title right now is Experiences, The Seventh Era of Marketing. We're still working on a subtitle, um, which will make it really clear, but it's basically the ideas moving into the, the what's moving into the new era of marketing, this idea of creating very powerful customer content driven customer experiences. And then the second half of the book is a how to basically a methodology that we're proposing for how to create what we call content creation management, a methodology for content marketing, how to create an organization in your marketing department that really transforms you into a media company and uh, the ability to treat content as the strategic asset that it should be. So Really excited about that. It's um, a January uh, published target date and just really focused on that. And then family. How about you? What are you you doing? Well, yeah, so I'll be out with you in San Francisco last trip. I have a number of uh, smaller engagements that I have to do around the Cleveland area up to the end of the year. But uh, but that's it. And then this week, so after San Francisco, uh, you know, JK and a couple other friends of mine are were running in the Christmas Story 10K run downtown oh, Cleveland. Oh, that's awesome. So it's so funny. They all dress up with their leg lamps. Nice. Uh, it is, it's, you would get a kick out of it. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. that. I so love that. We'll see how cold it is. Last Red Rider BB was, gun. You got to have your Red Rider BB gun. Well, I don't know if I'm going to dress up. I can guarantee you, I, I think I'm going to be in orange like I am for every other race, but it's a fun race. And Last year, last year was really cold. It was like the fifteen degrees or something like that. So we'll we'll see what it's like this year. But looking forward to it. Fantastic. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, give us a hashtag, would you? Find out if review us. Give us that Star Wars review, wouldn't you? On iTunes. And if you like this episode number fifty-five, do consider subscribing at iTunes or Stitcher.com or any of those things. And of course, all the show notes and everything that we talked about on this episode will be made available at thisoldmarketing.com. Thank you so much, folks. We'll see you next time. Remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.